John chapter 7. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposefully staying away from Judea because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, You ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, The right time for me has not yet come. For you any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I am not yet going up to this feast because for me the right time has not yet come. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the feast, he went also, not publicly but in secret. Now at the feast the Jews were watching for him and asking, Where is that man? Among the crowds there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, He is a good man. Others replied, No, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the Jews. Not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having studied? Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honour for himself. But he who works for the honour of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle and you were all astonished. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a child on the Sabbath. Now if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing the whole man on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Christ? But we know where this man is from. When the Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. Still many in the crowd put their faith in him. They said, when the Christ comes, will he do more miraculous signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time and then I go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Who 
where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, you will look for me but you will not find me and where I am you cannot come? On the last and the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Christ. Still others asked, How can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, Why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Has any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Well, good morning, everybody. On Friday, um, one of the guys at work work, um, asked me what I was doing for the long weekend. And uh, I thought, will I tell him? I thought, blow it, why not? I said to him, I'm preaching. He said, you're what? I said, I'm preaching. He said, you mean giving a lecture on how to be good. I said, yeah, more or less. He said, I thought only priests did that. And I said, well, in our church they let anyone up here to preach. So here I am this morning. Um, Carl asked me a couple of months ago to uh, prepare myself for today and, and that's what I tried to do. Now, what do you preach on? What do you preach on? Now, I'm not in the middle of a series. Uh, I don't think I can start a series. I can probably speak about my favourite subjects, but you'll probably think, oh, here he goes again and turn off. So, the question is, what do you preach on? And that was a real challenge for me, I must say. And so, I was more or less uh, taken to task and led Uh, to read the four Gospels. I just read the four Gospels, Matthew to John, not in one go, but systematically, if you know. And what a blessing it is to do that. And I would encourage anyone to read the four Gospels right through and get a fresh look at who Jesus is. Uh, Four beautiful books, I can tell you. And what it led me to do was to become 
familiar again with the words and the teachings and the miracles and the life of Jesus. It's so good to do that. And you appreciate his authority. You appreciate his, um, his love for people, his passion. And then when you get to the end of the books, you're reminded of his suffering and his death and his resurrection. And it's good to do it, I can tell you. It was really good for me to do that. And um, what it did, it was, it overwhelmed me really. I just fell in love with Jesus over again. Can you imagine that? You just fall in love with him all over again for who he is. Is that the same with you? Are you in love with Jesus? When's the last time you have said, I love you, Lord Jesus? Or is Jesus just humdrum to you? Now, if we call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus, and have not read the Gospels for a good while, how can we display in our lives a fresh attitude of his love? So, for me, I was thankful uh, when asked to prepare for a sermon because it did that. It refreshed me. It gave me uh, a, a new, what would you call that? A new kick in life again. So our subject this morning is um, John 7. And um, I was struck by the verse uh, 24 where Jesus says, Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Now, I think you'll appreciate that the Gospels have a lot to say about needing to make the right judgment in life. In how we might um, be called worthy followers of the Lord Jesus. You know, the Gospels have a fair bit to say about that. And having read that, I rediscovered that the Gospels are full of truths that speak to the heart. I also discovered that there, are, there is far more in the Gospels that we often care to realise. For example, uh, Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew and indeed in the Gospel of Luke, do not judge and you will not be judged. So how does that fit in with verse 24 of John 7 this morning? Yeah. The Gospel of John was written, as you probably know, much later than the other three Gospels. John's account is written after uh, much reflection and John makes it very clear as to why he wrote it and for what purpose. Just turn to chapter 20 and read verses 30 and 31 and it says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe in Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him you may have life in his name. It's quite interesting that the word believe or similar words are used about a hundred times in the Gospel of John. And you get the indication that John has this strong desire that we might believe and have life in Jesus forever. 
So, the question is, do you believe? Or do you just know? What you know about Jesus is one thing, but that you would believe Jesus to be the saviour of your life is something else. It's uh, far more personal, isn't it? And so the chapter um, that Denise read to us this morning is right in the middle of the teachings of Jesus. Now, in order to appreciate what he's saying and why he's saying it, I think we do well to go back to chapter 5 of the Gospel of John just to get the context. In chapter 5, John begins by telling that Jesus healed an invalid man at the pool of Bethesda and it so happens to be on the Sabbath day a day set aside for resting. And healing this man has put him at odds with the local Jewish authorities who go around policing that everyone should observe the laws, particularly the ones about the Sabbath. And they had set up this whole framework of laws as to how the people should live and so really misled them that they, by obedience, would find favour in God's eyes. Keeping the Sabbath was a must. And Jesus healing this man had made a gross violation, according to them. Working working on the Sabbath was a no-no. And so they began to have it in for him. And we are told that Jesus knew what they were thinking. What's this big deal about working on the Sabbath or healing this man on the Sabbath? You know, my father is always at work to this very day and I too am working, he says. And Jesus had now confronted them with actions in healing this man and now spoke to them rather strongly with words, truths which cut deep. His radical approach had caught them off guard. And as you read through the whole Gospel of John, you will gather that Jesus' words are spoken with authority, divine authority, and his words are full of truth. The truth of himself, the truth of of who he was, what he came for and who sent him. But also, just as importantly, he spoke the truths of themselves and his words cut them to the heart. His words divided them. Either you believed him or you despised him. Either his words spoke to you or or spoke the truth of him or you rejected his words and ultimately reject Jesus and who he was. And Jesus is still dividing people today, isn't he? I know for myself, when I share with people about what life is really about and as soon as I mention Jesus, people go, well, this far and no more. But as Jesus says, you are either for me or you're against me. You are either in Christ or you're not. You are either sons of God destined for eternal glory or you are a child of the devil cursed 
and to be thrown into the lake of fire. That's what the scripture says. It's as simple and as straightforward as that. Jesus never minced his words. Go to Matthew chapter 23, verse 15. And he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel far and wide to win a single convert and when he becomes one you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Wow. Friends, there's a spiritual battle raging on over the souls of people. It started right in the beginning at paradise and continues on to this present day. The battle is raging on, friends, and we need to realise it. See, Jesus, he had it in for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, didn't he? Because of their legalistic ways and how they forced people into slavery by obeying laws. And yet, as we know, Jesus desires that no one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so he confronts them, as he would confront us, about the effect of sin. What are we slaves to? What are we, what are we bound up in? Are we any different to the teachers of the law and the Pharisees thinking we're doing the right thing? See, Jesus is still as relevant today as he was back then and he demands a response. There's no room for complacency. You cannot assume that all is well with your soul. Paul says to the Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Just think about that. Think that through. Are we really working out our salvation with fear and trembling? This is how strong Jesus was in his day, confronting people with their sin and their need for forgiveness. And he would speak today also to us as Christians. Are we speaking the words of truth to each other? Are we saying the things that we need to say to each other? Are we? When someone's in sin, when someone's living in sin, what are we doing? Are we prepared to say the things that need to be said or are we just sidestepping in fear of upsetting people or offending them? Jesus offended them and they wanted to kill him. But friends, we need to stick our neck out at times and say it as it is. Remember what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 5 about the immoral brother who had this incestuous uh, relationship. Hand this man over to Satan 
so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. That's what he said. Strong words. There's no room for mollycoddling amongst us. We cannot deceive each other. We need to speak words of truth. Sometimes that's hard. Jesus often would begin his teaching by saying, I tell you the truth, or uh, I testify. In other words, listen very carefully, for I have something very important to tell you. But who's interested in truth? Who is? Or are we only interested in what's important to us? Who's who's interested to know the truth of Jesus? Or interested to know the truth of themselves? You know, um, often when you have conversations with people, I find it striking really, Um, you'll be in conversation with someone and... um, and then this person will try and emphasise the point and he'll say, uh, to tell you the truth, what's he suggesting? That all the other stuff beforehand was rubbish? You know, I know it's an Australian saying, but that's what's the implication, isn't it? But I suppose if, it's, if, if you go deeper than that, we often communicate with each other that we put ourselves up front, don't we? We somehow um, try to say things to our advantage. Don't we? We do. It's natural to do it. We've got this inherent nature which, um, which is bolstered up by pride. Jesus knows that. And he confronts us with that. Bill Hybels wrote a book, um, The Person I Am When No One Is Looking. I think it's a good book. It's in our library. It's worth reading. And it speaks about the truths of ourselves. And if Bill Hybels can write these things based on his own experience, then what would Jesus know of us? After all, he's God, isn't he? And he knows all things. What would he tell us? John chapter 5 verse 42 says these are the words of Jesus but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. Well if we don't have the love of God in our hearts what do we have? It can only be the love of ourselves. Isn't it? And so Jesus confronts us and his words, they penetrate, penetrate deeply, don't they? And maybe too deep for some. Well, in our chapter, they set out to kill him. And you go back to uh, the beginning of our chapter, Jesus' life is very much in danger, isn't it, for what he had done and said. The people of Judea, we are told, are on the warpath for him. 
And there was far more resistance in Judea than there was in Galilee, we are told. And interestingly enough, um, Judas Iscariot, who is mentioned at the end of chapter 6, was the only disciple of the twelve who hailed from Judea. The rest were from Galilee. Interesting how Jesus deals with that. But Jesus uh, chose to stay in Galilee, even though the Feast of Tabernacles was approaching, where many would go down to Jerusalem in Judea, where they would celebrate for seven days the end of the harvest feast and also commemorate at the same time when God led them through the desert into the promised land, the Passover. Now the Feast of Tabernacles was a great occasion and the brothers of Jesus thought that Jesus should take advantage of that, that he should go down there and demonstrate his supernatural power and so reinstate himself as a powerful and influential man. They probably thought there was something in it for themselves because we are told in the beginning of the chapter they didn't even believe in him. And Jesus, knowing their hearts and realising their need, challenges them. The right time for me has not yet come, he says. For you, any time is right. It's true, isn't it? Jesus came to fulfil the will of his heavenly Father. Jesus is no pragmatist. He's not interested in man's agenda at all. He had experienced that back in chapter 2 when it was the time of the Passover and we read there in verses 24 and 25 that Jesus had, that the people had seen the miracles that he was doing and even believed in his name. But then he says that Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man for he knew what was in man. His time had not come. Together with his heavenly father they had a long term plan, didn't they? A real long one, an eternal one. For you any time is right, says Jesus. So true. Man's always focused on his own needs, his own immediate needs. It's true, isn't it? I remember Joe Bjorko Peterson, the, uh, the former Premier of Queensland, once saying, you know, most Australians, as long as they have a beer in their hand and a game of football on television, couldn't care less if the sky fell in. And he's right. It's true, isn't it? You can't help. Mankind can't help but to think for the short, for the short term. But Jesus, in this chapter, is offering something far more. I'm not going to the feast, he said for the time is not right. For if I do, they might kill me and you'll miss out on the biggest offer ever in your life. He continues on, the world cannot hate you because it hates me because I testify that what it is, is evil. Back in chapter 5, Jesus' love and compassion was evident for the physical well-being of that poor man at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus had asked that man, do you want to get well? The same applies here, doesn't it? To his own brothers. Their condition might not be physical, but it certainly was spiritual. Do you get what he's saying here in verses 6 to 8? 
that you are a part of the world and I testify that what it does is evil. You are a part of the world, you think the same, you behave the same, you go about your business the same, you might be Jews, you might go about claiming to be God's covenantal people but you are of this world. You are evil. No wonder the world doesn't hate you because it identifies with its own. When I read that passage over and over again, I thought, I wonder if they realise what he's saying here. To his own brothers, you are evil. You need help. Wow. So when the time is right, Jesus eventually goes to the feast. And as it was his practice, he goes to the temple to teach. And he got their attention. For he said a lot of sensible things. They were profound, but they made sense to some. Not only could Jesus perform miracles, but he backed it up with profound truths that they could only but marvel at. But Jesus demanded more. Marvelling is not enough. He wanted their response. Verse 17. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he'll find out. Find out what? The truth of Jesus. They'll find out that Jesus was commissioned by his Father to provide for their salvation. That's what it was about. That's what they would find out. And Jesus goes on telling them, right from the beginning of his ministry really, that he's not here for his own glory or his own honour, but he came because his Father sent him. The God of the ancestors, the Jews, should have known that. The God that they knew, or supposedly knew. This God had given him all authority and commissioned him to display his power and his wisdom and his love. And together with his Heavenly Father, they had a plan for the salvation of souls that was prepared well before the foundation of the world was laid. And what Jesus was sharing with his listeners was not something that he sucked up out of his thumb in the last half hour. This had been well planned, well thought out. No, what he was saying, he said, I am passing on to you truths that would last forever. That's what Jesus did, didn't he? Whenever he spoke, whenever he shared, he was always alluding to the kingdom of God. The eternal kingdom of God, the kingdom that was, the kingdom that is and the kingdom that will ever be. We need to think that through, friends. For living in this broken world, we can so easily be sidetracked. We can lose our sense of perspective as to what's happening, what God is really doing. The big, the big question is, and the big question for us, do we believe him? 
Sure, we know of his miracles and we're interested. We're told that they came in their thousands and followed him wherever he went. But would they believe him for what he said? What he said about himself? What he came for? And what he said about themselves and what he says about us? We are told, you know, that seeing is believing, isn't it? Seeing is believing, you know? And we do it so easily, don't we? Go to YouTube and download the latest video clip and watch it. We do it so easily. But Jesus never said, He who has eyes, let him see. Never read that. Never said that. But he said, He who has ears, let him hear. Why? that you might believe. Some are interested, we're told, verse 12. Some say he's, he's a good man. Verse 40 and 41 say some say he's a prophet. Some say he's the Christ. And in verse 46, even the temple guards, you know, they're prepared to put their jobs on the line, aren't they? They don't even arrest him. And they say no one's ever spoken like that before. But Jesus is not interested that we just approve of him, of what he says or what he does. Approving is one thing. But as Jesus, saying, as Jesus says himself, choosing to do the will of God is something else. There's a world of difference in saying that Jesus is a good man and that no one has ever spoken like him and that the whole world turns round him than to say, Jesus is Lord. He's the Lord of my life. He's my saviour. He's my all. I believe. I believe and I will obey every word he says. Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm not a way, I'm the way. No one goes to the Father unless they go through me. Something to think about, isn't it? Something to think through. You know, the trouble with this Christian world today is that many Christians would go through life with Jesus at their disposal rather than the other way round, that we would find ourselves at his disposal this is what Jesus meant, wasn't it, when he said, follow me, take up your cross. Many believe in a God, in a creator, and they believe in Jesus as a saviour and have yet to make him their own. Jesus calls us to believe. He calls us to trust him. He calls us to obey him. And this is what you will read consistently if you read the four Gospels. That we would trust and obey. That we might believe and have faith. And that we might respond in faith. That we might step out in faith, clinging to him every step of the way. 
See, the love of God is so great that he wants to lavish upon us all that there is to be found in him. Do we believe that? Many are not convinced. Let's go back to our chapter in verses 21 to 24. Jesus refers back to the miracle where he healed the invalid man at the pool of Bethesda and asked him, what's the difference between healing a man on the Sabbath or performing circumcision on the seventh day as the law of Moses requires it? That's right. What's the difference? Think that through. We're all confronted with issues in our life, aren't we? Decisions we have to make. Commitments that we have, obligations even. We need to think it through, don't we? How we might obey Jesus in all that. Stop judging by mere appearances, says Jesus, and make a right judgment. The onus is on everyone to do that, to make that judgment to listen to what Jesus says and to think it through and make that right judgement that he would be your saviour. Do not be persuaded by public opinion or by church authorities or even by ministers for that matter to make that right judgement. Think it through seriously for yourself. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What inconsistencies in your life hinder us to do that? Verse 37. And Jesus is now shouting, we are told, as if this might be the last opportunity for many to hear the way of salvation, shouting. Whoever is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, streams of living water will flow from within him. That's the promise that Jesus offers. Will it fall on deaf ears? I certainly hope not. Friends, make the right judgment. I'll close with the story in the beginning of chapter 8. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. And they make her stand before the whole group. And they say to Jesus, the law of Moses demands that we stone her. What do you say? Jesus stoops down and scratches in the ground with his finger. Then he stands up and says, If any of you is without sin, let him throw the first stone. And then he stoops down and scratches in the ground with his finger. And then they leave until only the woman is left. Where are they, he said. Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. 
Go now and live your life of sin. I just love that story. I love Jesus for that story. Judgment. He made the right judgment, but no condemnation. Don't you love that? I just love Jesus for that. So friends, the four Gospels have a lot to say and I've only taken a snippet from it. It spoke to me and I think we all do well just to reflect as to where we're at in life. If that means a recommitment to Jesus, then do just that. If we're covering old ground, well, what good ground to cover? To know that Jesus is our Lord and Saviour and there's nothing to fear. So go on. Persevere as a soldier, reflecting his love and grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, the Gospels that you have so graciously, graciously given us that would speak words of truth to our hearts. Father, thank you for Jesus, for who he is, for what he has accomplished and what he has promised. Father, help us to think it through and make the right judgement on who Jesus is that we might believe and that we might respond. So thank you, Lord, for all that you are to us in him. Thank you for what you have made us to be. And Father, help us to reflect that in what we do and wherever you place us. In Jesus' name. Amen.